0: Network interface enabled. Hello and welcome to the Coming Out of the Basement podcast for the week of June 25th, 2012, on the Network Interface Podcast Network. I'm your co-host Carlos, and with me is your co-host BJ. Uh, since June 25th is a date near and dear to my heart, so that is my birthday, uh, today we're going to be talking about the numbers 6, 2, and 5, and all the cool things you can do with them. Like, you can multiply them and get 60, or maybe rearrange them to 5,
1: 6, and 2. Uh, I got nothing. BJ? Now, no, that wasn't what we agreed on at all. We were going to talk about, you were going to talk about copyright law, and then, oh, boy, I, yes. and then I was going to talk about RFC standards and SMTP protocol, and completely exactly. bore all of our audience members.
0: That is what we discussed about earlier today, and it might happen. It still might happen, but it kind of, kind of depends on how it rolls, right?
1: I don't know. My wife, I told her that that was the proposed topic ideas, and she threatened physical violence against me, so... Oh, then maybe we should, because I'm not there, so... <laughs> you just want to get me beat up. She Exactly. Also, I think we also kind of need to address, you know, the last two podcasts have been a little later um, than usual, and, and you know, my wife, I, shockingly enough, is a big fan, and she's like, you got to record on Monday, you got to record on Monday... I, we never really intended to be a weekly podcast. It kind of just worked that way. So,
0: Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I've had bronchitis and all kinds of fun stuff going on. And, and uh, yeah, so we're sorry that we haven't been able to go every week. Um, it's going to be a little bit sporadic probably for the rest of the summer. We're going to try to do it at least once every two weeks. Uh, but I know you're going on an extended vacation and uh, I've got my quals to do. So uh, we'll, we'll, still, we'll still do the best we can though while, while we're here.
1: Yeah, and and I'm I'm a part of my job is I go on call every once in a while. That gets to be kind of stressful, and um, even though summer's kind of um, you know calming down for other people, that's when uh, projects in my job kind of pick up a little bit. So work wise, it's been a little frantic for me too. So like uh, on Friday, I didn't get to quit work till about eight p.m. So fun times, fun times all around.
0: So so any new- news we want to talk about? Actually, well, there was one thing I wanted to mention. Go for it. Uh, getting started, and I was going to post pictures of this sometime, if that's okay with you, and that is BJ is now running a, a D&D game, a, fourth, a D&D fourth edition game for us, and he has this uh, – he talked a little bit about it last time when he was talking about the online tools you can use, but he moved to this kind of hybrid model type thing, and you, know, you, you did a lot of work putting that together, and I think it's worked out pretty well so
1: far. Um, we've had pretty good response from it. So uh, Carlos is going to post a picture on this, but basically – I've got this, like, 55-inch LED widescreen, big-screen TV. Um, I put it up on a table um, against the wall for the group, and then I set up um, a host computer uh, that's connected to the TV, and then I have a GM computer that I run map tools on, so the host computer sees it from a player view, I see it from the GM view so I can see all the hidden things and I can see all the traps and stuff like that. But on the monitor on the big screen TV the players only see, you know, what they're supposed to see as far as like their vision goes and stuff like that. Um I think it's added a lot of suspense to the game that, you know, isn't there normally cuz Either the GM is trying to keep track of stuff and doesn't do it so well. Um, it's also add a lot of immersion, you know, because uh, the the maps, you know, look uh, you know more detailed now. Um, and since we can track um, the hit points and healing surges, all that stuff is like you got the hit point bar, you got the healing surge bar, which I, oddly enough is kind of like ended up working like an endurance bar, right? You know, people get generally concerned when they see that that healing surge bar start to dip. Yeah, I actually stopped. I didn't track my hit points. I let you do it
0: today. So, But no, it, I think it's worked out pretty well. Um. There have been a couple of issues, and I think most of those are map tools related and connecting to the IP address type thing. But overall, I think it's been pretty cool. And like I said, I'll put up a picture of the setup uh, when I get a chance. But it, yeah, it's it's instead of having this kind of map on the table, it's on the monitor. And instead of having minis, it's like these little tokens that you put on the monitor up there. And so we can choose our own pictures or do whatever and use them as
1: the tokens on, on the screen. So that's been pretty cool. Well, that's the other benefit you're not like left like oh i'm playing this and you end up like having use a token that you know, or a, a miniature that looks completely opposite of what you had in your brain so just take whatever picture you can find online that represents character and that becomes your token a lot more character involvement and immersion all the good stuff and and also um i let you guys see like the hit points of the monsters right so you can see them go down i think that also adds some strategic value plus i think the game just runs faster yeah, when everything's working, it definitely does. Yeah. Okay, we had two server disconnects. I had to reload from a, um, a, an autosave file twice, but you're absolutely right. You, know, you,
0: didn't, you didn't have to erase the map or do any of that stuff, though. So, I mean, I, I, and even when stuff is broken, I think at, at worst it's a wash, but, I mean, at best it does actually go fat, pretty fast.
1: Yeah, jo- uh, the, the map tools is a fan-made tool, so it's not, like, officially supported. There are little kinks here and there. I've had to, to um, wipe out some corrupted tokens and stuff like that. But overall, works great. In yep. uh, other geek news, um, just to kind of cover kind of a widespread uh, area, um, I've been hearing good things about the 13th Age playtest. That seems to be going pretty well. I got to um, see some of the characters form, and they look, you know, very... Fourth edition, third edition. You know, so it's you know kind of cool that they got going on there. So I, I'm I'm hoping that good things will come of that.
0: Yeah, and if you pre-order, uh,
1: you will actually get the
0: rule set by the before they said before the end of the month. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, so if you go and pre-order, you can get it this week sometime.
1: Absolutely. So so you know, support a an up-and-coming, uh, you know, indie. I would, do they get to be called indie? I mean, uh, it's it's hard to say. <laughs> They have some of the bigger names within the you know the RP community, so I don't know if they qualifies indie per se. They're not really in the you know they're not doing a Kickstarter program either, so I don't I don't think they qualifies indie. Well, and
0: they do they do the uh, the gumshoe games, so the the Trail of Cthulhu and and all of those kinds of things. So I yeah. mean they've been they've been around. The company has been around for a bit, uh, but
1: they're they're still pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then next week we have the the infamous. Uh, new expansion for mass effect uh, that's going to be downloadable it's going to include the the extended ending and uh, that's all it is so it's it's not supposed to be like any multiplayer stuff and i read it's going to okay. be like 1.9 gig so that's a pretty substantial download wow yeah yeah that is pretty that's
0: pretty huge no i i haven't seen much about it since i didn't i still haven't played mass effect 3 um yeah i just saw that they were going to be releasing this director's cut uh, on tuesday i think so yeah so I will be heads down in playing that. And then... All right, well, you have to review it. And in uh, M- MMO-type stuff, well, I you know so far I hear everyone crying that Guild Wars 2 isn't out yet. So everyone's very sad by that, at least the people I know. Including but, me. Uh, yes, including you. i would be but, crying you. And, so, and, and what normally what people do, or what my group of friends tends to do, is play
1: League of Legends. But that hasn't been working out so well either this week. Yeah, I was I was going to mention that too. Thanks for 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 bringing that up. Apparently, okay, so they were pushing out a new patch. The new patch is supposed to do some cool things. Um, the the one of the lead developers he compared it to an iceberg. That the client side update was you know kind of minuscule compared to the update on the back end for all the databases and such. And from what they said, it introduced an unintended but new um, choke point in authentication and logins and stuff like that. And it's completely you know, befuddled their databases and they have to go back and do a whole bunch of modifications to get rid of it and stuff. So it's been just borked in general.
0: Yeah. It's been pretty terrible last weekend. They put out this big patch. That's the, that's that, that one that he was talking about. They actually rolled it back like, uh, to the previous patch from two weeks before entirely. And then they re-released it later on in the week. Um, and still, you know, people lost people lost data. They lost characters. They lost runes. They lost all kinds of stuff. And they've actually—I'm not sure if they've done this before—but for the people who were affected specifically by the data loss bug, they actually gave them riot points, which is the ones that you normally actually have to pay money for. So it's a pretty big mess up. They've been they've been down a lot. They had five-hour queues at one point. So
1: it's it's pretty surprising and pretty significant that this happened. And right now, gaming is such a, um, there's there's such a, a lull in gaming that we've actually been logging on to the European West servers to play because we got nothing else to play. Scott and I went and played StarCraft a little bit and realized that we haven't played in so long that we suck really bad. And we got our asses handed to us. Well,
0: that sounds like fun. And well, so. JJ is a Diablo diehard, so he's still been playing Diablo. And you guys tried that too
1: for a bit, didn't you? But still not like thrilled by it. Um, you know, it just we, we we talked about this previously, and and um, so here here's my biggest problem is you know people are heralding Diablo as a return to classic gaming. I disagree with that because while it does have some of the classic gaming stuff involved. I think it's also a step back. You know, there's no customization. Everything feels very generic. All the character, you know, if you're playing a, a barbarian, it feels very similar to barbarians other people's play and stuff like that. There's there's a significant lack of personalization, all that stuff. If I if you want to herald a game as being a return to classic gaming, Legend of Grimrock, That is I have is a, not heard of it. <laughs> so did you ever play any of the first person um, dungeon explorers like uh, Eye of the Beholder? Oh yeah, yeah, completely. So, so Legend of Grimwalk is a modern version of that. It, it follows the exact same mechanics, but it, it's got higher resolution graphics. It's, it, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's a that game is a a uh, an homage to classic gaming, and it did is it a, wonderfully. P-
0: is it a PC game?
1: Yes, it's it's uh, on Steam, and I think it's mm-hmm. like ten bucks, ten or fifteen bucks. I mean, it, I got it just you know cheap, cheap, cheap. And it it's, it was a lot of fun, and you get to customize your characters, and you can you know customize their stats, and you know they got plenty of different uh, portraits, and their classes, and abilities, and stuff like that. So, for my money, that is the true and proper homage to classic gaming. Uh, I think part of the problem with Diablo was that it was just too simplistic. They stripped out too much of the um, the the real feeling and and character of the game. Uh, in the name of hack and slashing and stuff like that. I think it was part of my same problem with um, StarCraft 2. StarCraft 2 had like no innovation. It was literally just StarCraft with better graphics. I mean, they had like a few updated um, units, but all in all, it just didn't really do much with the property. We still play StarCraft 2 all the time though, but that's because it's more tactical than just hold the mouse button down and swing at the, the nearest enemy. So. I haven't I haven't booted it up in a while, but I might. I mean, it was it was fun. It's so competitive now. People are so good at that game. I mean, even when we we're playing in the lobby rankings, I mean, even the bronze rankings, people are so good competitively, though with their Zerg rushes or or their um their their lobby uh, uh, minion rushes and stuff like that. I, I mean, if you really aren't on the ball, I mean, you just get trounced, and that's the that's the problem that I found out that I had with um, StarCraft that you can't really recover from a bad beginning in starcraft right if you get if you just get your your ass handed to you and you know they they come in and wipe out your barracks and a couple things right you pretty much know you're going to lose right you can't really recover from that league of legends you can have a bad beginning hell we've had games where we were down like you know 15 kills right like the enemy team had 15 more kills than us and more towers and we still won so just from a raw strategy position, you can be behind in league of legends and still come out the victor.
0: Yeah. It kind of depends on how bad that is, as we learned earlier today, but actually we did pretty good today. Most of the time, but any, any other,
1: uh, geek news going on for you, sir.
0: Uh, that's, that's mainly what I had. Uh, I, I'm going to see Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter. I haven't seen it yet.
1: Uh, we'll see how that goes. The wife and I saw that tonight. Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, the critics have been kind of um, on the fence about it. Well, more than on the fence. It's only got like thirty-five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. But
0: it's weird. Yeah. yeah, Austin Chronicle made it one of their recommendeds this week, which is kind of interesting that it was so different from the rest of the critics.
1: Well, it goes back to that dichotomy—the difference between what the critics say and what the re- the audience says, right? That was the same problem with like Mass Effect Three. The the critics were like, "Oh, this is amazing, the greatest game in RPG history," and all the audience members you know, were like, "Oh, you know, ending was you know completely invalidated everything." So, within Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, you read the critic reviews, and most of them are like, "We don't know what to do with this movie because it's obviously a satire, right? Because Abraham wasn't." really a vampire hunter but the movie uh, is s- spoiler <laughs> oh, i'm sorry i'm sorry um that's a spoiler quote unquote spoiler okay so in this movie abraham lincoln is a vampire hunter but that's not really happened um oh, i know it's just horrible but because but the movie treats the subject very seriously it, it, it is really posing it's, it's sort of like the best thing i can equate it to is in comics they had a what if series right uh, in some of them, you know, what if you know Wolverine died and such and such. My favorite was what if Punisher killed the Marvel Universe, and it posed the the theory that instead of like mobsters killing his family, what if his family is accidentally killed by um, superheroes during a battle of supervillains, and Punisher directs his vengeance towards heroes and the superpowered rather than uh, mafia and stuff like that, and he ends up killing everybody, all the the superheroes and stuff. That's what the movie is more about, right? You know, it's more uh, saying, gay, what if the Civil War is really about vampires trying to take over, you know, the United States and uh, Abraham Lincoln was the only person who could stop them. And and it takes that what if into a a very serious um, tone. And and that's fine. I think the problem is is that critics just don't know how to, to handle that, right? So, audience members loved it. I thought it was a great movie, so cool yeah i'll I'll see what i think i have not finished the book i did start reading it
0: but then i got distracted by other books so i'll go back to it and finish it it is it does take itself very seriously um even more you know they have this this genre mashup kind of trend going on where they did pride and prejudice and zombies and sense and sensibility and sea monsters and all those other things and this kind of reminds me of, of that kind of mashup but uh those didn't take themselves quite so seriously and this one plays it straight and we'll see how it goes
1: yeah, I, I think it's totally worth it. We also saw Rock of Ages. If you like musicals, it'll be fun for you. I mean, I'm not a musical guy, so I'm I'm bad to review that. So that's that's just my two cents. All right, I want to hear this mystery subject you got for me. Mystery subject. Okay. So are you are you ready? I'm Go I'm I'm gripping my chair. I'm so ready. Okay. No, actually,
0: today I'm going to talk about. The My Little Pony phenomena and the Brony thing and what all that comes from and what all that's about, because I've heard people talk about it and uh, it's it's this weird, often divisive kind of area. And, but it pops up everywhere. If you're on any forums, if you're on any, uh, if you do any kind of internet stuff, it comes up a lot. And I'm going to talk about it and where it comes from and why it exists to
1: a certain extent. So now that we've lost half our audience
0: <laughs> No, no no, it's you, you should you should definitely pay attention
1: okay uh, I, I'm interested to hear this I, I know of the phenomenon but honestly I know nothing about it other so, other than it makes me roll my eyes just a little bit so exactly exactly and and you shouldn't you should actually check it out oh, I'm no. gonna tell you and I'm gonna
0: tell you why okay. so um, so I actually I'm somewhat familiar with the super early my little pony because uh, I, as you may or may not know I have a little sister. And I'm I'm four years older than her. And when she was six years old, that was w- when the uh, first generation My Little Pony came out was was out. So you know, being a six-year-old kid, she watched the My Little Pony movie every single day for about a year. So I'm very familiar with the early, early, early ones, because she collected the toys and she did all that kind of stuff. So My Little Pony, of course, is a property owned by Hasbro. And like a lot of those 80s Hasbro properties, it's it's a lot of it has been about pushing toys. And uh, and that's that's kind of what Hasbro does, right? Uh, cartoons are a large advertisement for the kinds of toys. The newest iteration, which is the fourth generation of My Little Pony, it's called My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. And What's really put it on the radar are the bronies, the fans, right? Because much to some people's surprise, uh, a lot of the fans are not the the little girl demographic that they were expecting, but – um uh, older older fans and male older fans so uh and that really took that really surprised people that male and females of a bunch of different ages seem to to enjoy it and they're called various things but usually referred to as bronies um and that usually can refer to male and female sometimes females also refer to themselves as pega sisters but that's not really as popular as brony is so why why is it so popular um well one it's really well written um the characters and the storyline was were developed by someone named Lauren Faust. So Lauren Faust um, is probably best known before before this for her work on shows like Powerpuff Girls and Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. Uh, she was nominated and won an, an, an Emmy uh, at least for the latter for the latter show, but she was nominated she's been nominated for several Emmys for her earlier work. And if you liked either of those, if you liked Powerpuff Girls or Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends, there's a really good chance that you would like this show as well. Did, did you ever see any of
1: those before? Um, I mean, I've seen some of the Powerpuff girl stuff just because I used to watch, um, you know, Cartoon Network for a lot of the uh, the classic cartoons like the Jackie Chan Adventures and stuff like that.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: So she she worked on that. Won Emmys for that. Really
0: good. And she was looking at the uh, – those that, those earlier series and she had problems with the earlier My Little Pony series, especially what's called like the second and third generation because they were kind of dull and they included a lot of really sexist stereotypes like um, the stuff that I'd seen previously um, – was, like, how to make a cake and how to, you know, do all these very, very kind of gender stereotype stuff. So she wanted to do something more interesting and have more developed characters. Uh, She ended up executive producing, writing, storyboarding, do all kinds of stuff for the entire first season, and she was a producer for the second season. Um, Right now, I don't know if you watch uh, shows right now, but she's doing uh, DC Nation stuff on the Cartoon Network, Super Best Friends Forever. That's her. Same same person, same style. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, yeah, so she's she was a big part of the development of this and a big part of what made it so popular with people. Um, other things about it is that it's got um, really well-known voice actresses doing the voices in the show. So uh, the best known is probably Tara Strong, who plays the kind of the viewpoint character uh, named Twilight Sparkle. Uh, you probably heard her, you know, if you played Arkham City, she's Harley Quinn. If you ever saw Teen Titans, she was Raven. Uh, if you played Old Republic, she was Holiday. She's come out on Family Guy. And you know all those just for the last couple of years. She comes out in so many things, so she's really well known and really prolific. Um, what's been interesting about her though is that she's been engaging with the fans a lot over like Twitter, over over you know any kind of social networking stuff. She'll send the messages, she'll make recordings for people, and she completely trolls people like jokingly all the time online uh, and engages with people really regularly. So she's also been a, a big part of this popularity. But you know all the other voice actresses have the same kind of thing. Um, You've got Ashley Ball, Tabitha St. Germain, Andrew Libman, Nicole Oliver. They're all like musicians, um, actors, and uh, voice actors, and they all have a lot of experience doing this. So they've got a lot of talent on the show just developing it in the first place. So um, the show itself follows the adventures of a group of friends um, – two Earth ponies, uh, Pinkie Pie and Applejack, two Pegasi, Rainbow Dash and Fluttershy, two Unicorns, Twilight Sparkle and Rarity. Uh, and the names, yes, uh, if you're not familiar with them, they sound really odd, but they've all got like their special powers and their abilities and their strengths and their flaws. Uh, Twilight Sparkle, who's like the main character of the first season, is a powerful magic user, but she's also neurotic and obsessive. Every, every, all those ponies have, uh, you know, they all have something. They have a strength and a weakness and they're, they're, they're pretty well developed. Um, so I'm going to to mention a couple of things. Uh, the the I'll, I'll, I'll say something right now, and you can t- tell me if this sounds like anything else you've heard. So in, in, in the beginning of the series, so there's a, there's a story where a thousand years ago, this, this magical kingdom was ruled by two sorceresses. One ruled the day and one ruled the night. But the sister who ruled the night wanted to bring eternal night to the world and defeat her sister, and so she attacked the kingdom, right? So she was defeated and banished to the moon. So a thousand years later, there's the wizard's apprentice who sees signs that this evil sorceress will be returning from her banishment, but no one will listen to her. So of course she does return and tries to bring eternal night to the land. So she, so the the wizard's apprentice has to get her allies together, you know, find people with all these special abilities. This group of this group of people, you know, and then find these legendary magical artifacts that can be used to send the evil sorceress back and rescue the princess while she's at it. And during this journey, they have to go on this quest for artifacts. They have to travel through a haunted forest and then encounter
1: dragons and manticores and other kinds of stuff like that. Does that sound like anything? I don't know. I feel like I'm going to have to give up my man card just for talking about this. (laughs) Um, No, it doesn't sound familiar to me. Um, So
0: one of the things is that that's like one of the... The an adventure journey. I mean, that's that's exactly that could be made an adventure module. You've got the different characters with the different characters that have to get together. You've got the evil, you know, the, the Wizards apprentice. You've got the. So the, you're saying this is like sort of an RPG adventure. It is completely an RPG adventure. It is it is blatantly an RPG adventure. Gotcha. It, it's it's pretty it's pretty um, it's pretty evidence. And in fact, a lot of these fans have made RPG versions of My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. Um yeah, uh, they've they've done a four-e version, they've done a Pathfinder version, they've done all kinds of stuff, and, and to incorporate the, they've made races of the different types of things. They've done all kinds of stuff. It's been a big kind of thing with the fans, and 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 this our kind of RPG element kind of you, you kind of travels through the show. Um, at some point you see you see a griffin, you see a cockatrice that turns people into stone. You've got all kinds of stuff coming up. Um, and the show is, I mean, there's stuff for kids and stuff for adults. Um. So there's there's a lot of catchy music, and there's a lot of references to stuff that is just not for kids. So you've got an episode with a giant Sodenheim number. You've got a character who regularly breaks the fourth wall. You've got references to The Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind, Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness, Indiana Jones, Sherlock Holmes, 007, Benny Hill, Pepe Le Pew. They have a shot-for-shot shot scene of the Star Wars award ceremony um, and all, all kinds of other stuff like that. And Hasbro has actually been pretty good at – well, I'm not going to – it's hard to say that Hasbro has been pretty good. Hasbro has been decent at, like, commercials and stuff like that. So even with the commercials, they've done an, a, a California Girls parody. Uh, they've done references, like, there's a pony for that instead of there's a for that. And they've incorporated some stuff into the show. Um, Rainbow Dash has a Nyan Cat poster in one episode. You know, they, they've done some pretty interesting things there. Uh, and, and like I said, some of the some of the humor is, is – and some of the kind of references type stuff is pretty sophisticated. So um, in the season two finale, some slight spoiler there, this, here's an example of something that I didn't catch, but it was, what's in there and, and actually intended. There's a princess named princess cadence. Who's been kidnapped and replaced by a changeling at some point. So cadence has her own musical theme that that kind of comes when she comes on and musically a cadence means it's it's a dominant chord followed by a different kind of dominant chord like a, a basically and there's and it's and that's called an authentic cadence. There's also a concept of something called a false or deceptive cadence where there's this dominant chord that's followed by a minor chord um, and. In this particular case, whenever the fake one comes out, they play a, they play the the uh, false cadence, and whenever the real one comes out, they actually play the real cadence. And this is just done in the music, right? It's not actually any, anything that that you ever see or whatever. But that's that was there and that was intentional. Like the 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 musician completely um, <coughs> uh, verified that that is in fact what was going on. But really, the big crazy thing about the show has been the fan reaction and the fan interaction. And this is something that Hasbro has been good at, in that it lets the fans do a lot. So um, the Brony thing and this, this whole MLP thing, like a lot of great and terrible things on the Internet happened really started on 4chan. And uh, it's generated hundreds of memes, fan art, fan fiction, fan videos, fan music, and everything. And um, one of the weird things is that there's a whole lot of fan canon. So like in where they, they will take any kind of background pony or any kind of person, anything that's ever shown up in the show, uh, including like – flash animation mistakes and they will make whole canon stories about them um and some of those have even actually been incorporated back into the show and that's actually something that's very interesting and that hasbro has actually taken that kind of fan stuff and incorporated into the show itself so um in the first season there was there was a character on with sunglasses djing a party just just came out with this once and the fans went crazy about this character, named the pony uh, DJ pwn Three or Vinyl Scratch, and, uh, and Hasbro has used both of those names in the actual in the actual uh, in commercials and in official merchandise. Um, uh, the best known is probably in, in season one. There was an animation error where one of the background ponies had crossed eyes, basically, or, like, eyes that were going off in different directions. And that one, like, the fans completely latched onto that character and called her Derpy Hooves. And she became, like, a complete fan favorite, and they've made all kinds of, of canon about her and stories about her. And as a result, they started incorporating her into Season 2. Um At BrodyCon, they're at, which is a big uh My Little Pony convention, they're going to be releasing a toy of her in a box covered with muffins, Which is actually part of that fan canon that she loves muffins, delivers mail, and is the doctor's companion, of course. Uh, So, because there are several ponies that have this hourglass mark on them, Mm -hmm. which uh, some of which look like the doctor, and. And so they, uh, they they call this pony Dr. Hooves, and they have the story where, where this Derby Hooves character is the Doctor's companion. And, and Hasbro has done a little bit with that, like hinted a little bit at that, because they've actually paired them together in at least one episode of stuff like that. I'll, I'll mention something else like that. But but basically there's a lot of stuff that's happened out. You've got uh, a lot of interesting educational videos about how people do the Flash animation for that um, You've got Pony Music as done by hard drives. You have video games. People making an MMO called Legends of Equestria. People have made a Mario Kart clone called Pony Cards. People have made fighting games. People have made Magic Cards. Um, People have made a ton of Skyrim mods. You've probably seen some of those. And, and of course, Minecraft stuff. Uh, The one big thing that hasn't worked out so well has been some of their marketing. Um, Holly calls their marketing a three-ring circus of failure in the (laughs) sense that... Yeah, so like they, they come out with these, right? The whole point is to sell toys a lot of times, right? The toys that they come out with, so, some of them are super terrible quality. Uh, they're just, they're just awful, like especially like the kind of plush toys. Uh, they, they, they make up ponies that don't appear in the show at all. They get the colors wrong. They, they have just these random kind of stuff. They do really, really bizarre things, so much so that, of course, these diehard fans will fix them, right? They actually sell modifications for the existing toys or make their own, and on eBay, you can see some of these these plushy toys selling for thousands of dollars, uh, often hundreds but even thousands at some point, um, and Hasbro's paid a little bit of attention to that. They're going to be releasing some fan favorites this fall, but so far they've done a pretty surprisingly terrible job of that. Um, it's oh, one of the interesting things that happened recently, which I mentioned on an earlier episode, is that they're doing a documentary uh, called BronyCon. With John Delancey, the the guy who plays Q, playing a big part of that, and so he's gotten really involved in this just because he came out as like a main villain in in the second season, Um, and and somehow he's gotten really involved with this as well. And the fans have done stuff like they've bought apparently bought commercial time on the Hub, which is the channel that it airs on, to uh, thank Hasbro about Lauren Faust or Tara Strong. I'm not entirely, I don't recall which, but they've actually gotten together and done that. So it's it's really been this really interesting phenomenon and this really weird interaction between a company and a group of fans to kind of create this shared again this kind of shared narrative thing kind of like you see in this game uh in in the game world uh so that that's been a very uh interesting time
1: i think that's a trend that's becoming more and more prevalent um just because of the availability of social media and stuff like that. One of the first companies I think that really got involved in, in fan interaction with medium is valve um, valve did an amazing job of integrating fans into their, into their product line and letting them develop it and stuff. And that's where we got counter strike from and Dave Defeat, and a whole bunch of other mods and stuff like that. And um, I think, Wizards of the Coast is trying to do that now. That they, they have huge fan involvement in the development of D&D 5.0 or D&D Next and stuff. And I think in some ways that's a very good thing. In other ways, I think it can kind of muddy the waters. I, I think we've been seeing some of that with the D&D Next stuff. Um, but it sounds here like where the fans are creating sort of a their own... Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, their Their own, not reality, but their own world, right? They're helping craft the world. Um, they always talk about what is canon, right? You know, because right. mm-hmm. you, you, stories split off in all sorts of different directions, and so when we talk about, like, the the Marvel universe and the films, you know, we, we have to stop and ask ourselves, you know, they've had other films come out, so what's canon to that current universe, right? So, for instance, Ang Lee's Hulk movie is not canon, but the second one with Ed Norton is considered canon, right? So, uh, here it sounds like the audience, you know, has influence on what's canon within this 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 world, this co-created
0: world, right? Which is which is kind of surprising coming from Hasbro, which tends to be fairly conservative in a lot of what it does. Uh, but yeah, they they do, they have had stuff incorporated into uh, into the actual. Uh, show um, and in fact when canon has at times contradicted what they've come up with Hasbro has actually changed what they came up with to, me- to match the fan canon uh, like uh, with names for example um, that that they, they've actually gone back to try to please the fans so that that's been you know, really interesting
1: well I think Hasbro knows which side of the bread there is buttered for them right you know I think that's Kind of what was the coast is doing, you know? They they feel like there's such a negative fan reaction to four E that they have to kind of go back and redo things a little bit in the third edition fashion because that's what a lot of the the people prefer and stuff like that. And, you know, that's just you know, it's it's, it's trying to meet your audience, right? Yeah, and and the show—I mean, the show is popular with its de-
0: with its original Tarkic gra- demographic, right? It is it is popular with kids. It is popular with 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 young with young girls, but it is it's really popular with a lot of people. Um, among a lot of the people I know, a lot of parents really enjoy it because there's all this kind of stuff for adults there also. But even people without kids, like me and Holly, like the show quite a bit. Um, definitely worth checking out. I mean, if you like
1: cartoons in general, it you should totally watch it. <clears throat> I I mean I got to admit I just have a hard time getting over that mental hurdle that Yeah I, and that's and that's the that's the thing that a lot of people have a problem with
0: um and especially guys because yeah it is so associated with with females and with young girls in particular so it it seems really strange right off to look at it but really there's so much what I what I actually started seeing and actually this is how Holly and I got interested in it at all was not even seeing the show at first. We saw all the fan stuff because it's everywhere. I mean, these memes and these videos and this music and stuff, that's, that's what we saw first and went back and watched the show and like, okay, that's what, that's what it's all about. Uh, that, that's what's going on and the show is good, but really the fan stuff is what makes it just really amazing in a lot of ways.
1: I mean, uh, let's let's. It, it's sort of the pink elephant in the room. You know, we're talking about you know stuff that has amazing character involvement, amazing storylines. You know that has those RP elements and has a lot of the pop culture references. And so, you know, someone who's just coming into this conversation might be thinking, oh, they're talking about like Futurama, like. Anything that we talk about right here is easily applicable to the, the Futurama. They have entire, you know, they had one of their, their made-for-TV movies, um, mm-hmm. uh, Bender's Big Game. You know, they, that's about yep. a D&D adventure. And they, they bring up, you know, the rust monster is one of the, the animals being taken to the veterinarian. And they had Gygax as one of the, the, the keepers of the, the realms and yeah. stuff like that. So they, they do all these things. They have these pop culture references. They have, you know, it, it is, you know, an adventure's campaign in that. you know they. And it's sort of an adventuring party, you know, that uh, of the characters and stuff like that. So anyone coming in this conversation could be like, "Oh, we're talking about Futurama, but we're not. We're talking about ponies, cartoon ponies. That's right, right? Yep, nothing wrong with yes. that. But you know, it's uh, and and do you think because it is ponies, there's a larger audience that they? I mean, it sounds like they have a good audience. It sounds like they have a solid fan base. But do you think because? the nature of its animation, the nature of, you know, the don't judge a book by its cover thing, because it is about ponies, do you think they're missing out on what could be a larger fan base? Um, well, I mean, I, I'm certain, I mean, the the,
0: the reaction, the, the that odd reaction that people have at first, that's common, right? I mean, that's, yes, in some ways, but it's, it's, it's this odd thing where it's really hard to say that if they had done this in a different context, would they have a larger fan base or not? Because, um, Futurama has a huge cult following, right? And the huge people—it's a great show, uh, but it's been—you know—it's been canceled before. They had to come out with these movies. It had this really. So I don't know. It's hard to say what's going to be kind of popular and what they consider metrics for success. You know, um, I don't know if it would be the same if it was something else. In fact, I probably it probably wouldn't be uh, because it also has these. This is one of the interesting things when you're talking about the the, the gender issue in particular is that it has these themes of like. Friendship and tolerance and uh and people make fun like bronies will use that and they'll use that both ironically and and unironically at the same time so it's it's and I'll, I'll post some examples of what I mean by that but it's this weird kind of thing where um <clears throat> the fact that it is my little pony, yes, in, in some ways that does hurt the the demographic and, and, and or at least the, the what would would traditionally be the, the not a demographic for the show. But the fact that it's become so popular uh has also drawn people into it. So
1: it's this weird, I don't know. I'm not
0: sure if if that makes a, a huge difference or not.
1: I mean I'm still <laughs> I'm still sitting here like having this realization that we're having an intellectual conversation about my little pony and it's kinda of blowing my mind right now. It, I you should watch
0: the first ep- Watch the first two episodes. I, I will say that they're on Netflix. They're easy to get. They're they're on Netflix. They're online. There's there's all kinds of stuff like that. And um, I'll post some of the interesting fan stuff too. I,
1: I realize I should, but it's like, okay, we love Firefly. It's an awesome show. I cannot for the life of me get my wife to sit down and like watch the series, right? And I realize I'm kind of a hypocrite in that fashion because like when you say this, I'm like I should watch that, and then I'm like. It's fucking ponies. Cartoon ponies. Yeah. And I just, I can't get over that. I, I you know, maybe I'm not, you know, the, the the 20th century man that, you know, I should be, but I just, I, I have trouble getting over that mental hurdle. It's just it's fucking it's, cartoon ponies. Um, it is. It is. It I know, is completely I know, cartoon ponies. I know. Do you think that because of that, because, let's, let's just really crack this open, and we're going to go full force with it. Let's sort of crack it open. Do you think that because. Of the way they present the medium, they get to avoid some of the complications that others might have, such as ponies are going to be kind of gender neutral, right? You know, they, they do have male and female characters, but for the most part, because they're cartoon ponies, are going to be more gender gender, gender neutral, neutral and racial neutral. So if they do try to tackle more complicated things, they kind of get to skirt that edge a little bit, right? You know, because it's... I, Good. A little,
0: a little bit. But they do. I mean, they do have. gen originally, it was there. Actually, aren't that many male characters. It is mostly female characters. There are some male characters that, and, and a little bit more that have been introduced as the thing goes on. So in some ways, they they did kind of avoid that by doing that, and that was an intentional decision on their part. Um, race stuff, a little bit also. But there's there there is even a little bit of that uh, that they're examining with with some characters in particular. Um, uh, I'll, yeah. So, I, y- yes, the, they don't. They don't often go into the hard conversations directly into the show, into the very difficult examinations directly into the show. Directly, the way they do that, um, but they do have some. Um, but it's done in a very—I mean, it is—it is a kids show in a lot of ways. So it is done in—and not in a lot of ways. It is a kids show. So there's stu- the stuff that they do examine. Tends—I mean, it is the way that they would present
1: it to children. But they do it really well. Um, so, yeah. I guess and and here's my thing right you know we say it's a kid show but you're you're telling me about a huge audience of adults who watch it right and then they're mm-hmm. trying to, to you know spread you know the, the ideas of you know peace love and harmony you know friendship forever and, and acceptance for all which I'm totally in line with but that message gets to be really easy to deliver right when you know friendship for all and and everyone's pretty neutral and and the same right you know you only that only gets to be tested when you know there's really differences that challenge each other and stuff like that well that's one of the interesting thing about the the characters is that like i mentioned unlike
0: unlike a lot of these shows one of the really interesting things is that these characters have they're flawed right they're not they're not perfect by any means whatsoever Mm -hmm. um they have they have and and they do have things that actually will test their friendship uh like uh so there's the, my holly's favorite character is is a unicorn named named rarity right rarity is she's she's supposed to be very generous and she's all about fashion but her but she's also kind of vain mm. and she and and she'll do things – and um and one of the other characters basically says all you do is clothes you're super flip you're, you know you're, what you do isn't really important like no one no one really cares because all you're caring about is clothes right and, and they will examine friendships in that way like uh, look at the these these kinds of issues um, i don't it's it's it, it like i said it's a, if I don't. It's hard to say who I don't know what age group specifically it is. It is addressed. It is like when you watch some cartoons, you can tell this is for really little kids, or this is for you know this is for uh, teens, or this is for whatever. And it's it's a little bit harder to do with this show uh, because of the way they approach some of these these issues.
1: I guess my best equivalent, and and this is me trying to bring it back to something that that equates for kind of my world, um, the Batman animated series. That is a really good comparison because for anyone who hasn't seen the Batman animated series, you're doing yourself a disservice. The Batman animated series, and then the the Batman and Robin, and then Superman, and the Justice League that that whole series, basically, um, uh, uh, Bruce Tim, anything anything within that that period of time within the uh, I think it was the uh, the late nineties, um, produced by Bruce Tim uh, of that animated series was absolutely amazing, because they were animated shows about the superheroes, right, but they had very adult elements in it. They tackled adult themes, they tackled um, things that you w- w- would be surprised that, that needed to be tackled, um, but they were absolutely amazing. You know, they, they talk about um, one of the greatest episodes was uh, the episode about Man Bat, and, and basically this this athlete um, who uh, is, is so determined to win, he ends up doing steroids. The steroids were, um, you know, derived. Oh no, no, that's that's the the Wolfman one. Sorry, um, but you know he he does these wolf uh, these steroids derived from like a wolf testosterone, and that's how he ends up turning into a werewolf. But it's an examination about you know uh, drugs and athletics and stuff like that, and tackle very serious things. All through the the medium of Batman, and Batman is played amazingly, amazingly by Tim Conroy. Perfect voice. Everyone makes fun of um, Christian Belt, rightfully so, for the voice of Batman, because he does it way over the top, and it sounds like he's chewing marbles, right? And I think one of the reasons people give him such a bad time is because... When you listen to Batman, and I'm talking, you know, not just in the animated series. Tim, Con- he, he's been uh, Kevin Conroy has been the voice of Batman in um, uh, not just the animated series, but and in, in most animated stuff recently, including and the, the video games, Arkham Asylum and Arkham City. He is the voice of Batman. He's got that very purposeful um, tone, right? It's not monotone, but it's 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 um it's leveled and it's um calculating, right? So when when he talks, there's a lot of um, a lot of emotion behind it that is not obvious right and so the Batman animated series was absolutely amazing I have all of them on DVD I I watch them regularly so very very good and, and and I guess the reason for me that's approachable is because it's freaking Batman. I mean, I love Batman. I, I got so many Batman shirts and, and Batman paraphernalia, only outdone by the amount of Green Lantern paraphernalia I have all over my place. Like, I'm in my office now, and I'm looking at a Green Lantern replica Lantern, right? So I'm, I'm pretty big into that. So I think that's a medium that makes it easier for me to swallow. You give it to me in a Batman medium, and I'm all over it. So it's just that, you know, it just comes back to the pony thing, so...
0: Yeah, no, I, and I understand, and I think that that's a good example for a lot of reasons. You're right. They do. They had really good characterization. In the Batman the Animated Series. And they also had a very specific stylistic element to it. Like they, it has a, a very specific look. The character designs, the city. I mean you can tell. It's they, very consistent and very stylized. And that is also something that it shares with with the uh, with the My Little Pony show. Uh, it has a very specific kind of look, very specific character designs. Like a vision was made to design everything. Um, so that's been kind of interesting.
1: You, you know how they Actually, did that
0: for the Batman Animated Series, right? i How?
1: They started, from day one, they said, you know, most animated series, they start with white background, right? And everything's done from a white background. Batman, the animated series, they said, we're going to start from a black background. So everything, all the animation is produced beginning on a black background, working its way to the colors and all that stuff. And by doing that, even if it's a light time, you know, like a daytime scene, they start the black background and it's all just dark. It comes all across as very dark and it's very appropriate for the Batman theme. Yeah, and... Um...
0: It is also showing on the hub right now, so you can watch both of them, PJ. What's the hub? <laughs> the hub is uh, is 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 a, a TV channel, cable. Oh, uh, shows, okay. shows, shows, shows shows animated series.
1: I thought it was this other <clears throat> thing that I was missing out because I'm like Netflix and Hulu and the Amazon Live. I'm like, oh, nope. God.
0: The hub it's it's on cable. It's it's uh, it's owned by Hasbro and Discovery, and they show basically cartoons and stuff like that. Um, all day long. So,
1: <clears throat> I just I got the whole like DVD set and if I, I just pop it in and watch it every once in a while. I, I have not
0: watched the movies yet. I know there's been a couple of movies. I think there's one about Mr. Freeze and one about the Phantasm. I have not seen them,
1: but I should one of these days. Unfortunately, it just didn't it, the movies didn't come across that good to me. You know, here's here uh, Pimp another podcast. Kevin Smith started up a new podcast which is absolutely amazing and it's called Fat Man on Batman. And it's a weekly podcast that he's doing where he's talking to a lot of the people involved in that Batman animated series. He loved it just as much as we do. First person he brought on was Paul Dini. Paul Dini was the the writer for most of those episodes. Um, And Paul Dini is so emotionally involved in that. He's the one who created Harley Quinn, right? He's the creator Mm -hmm. of the character. And he's so emotionally involved in that character. So when he's asking them the the background of Harley Quinn and how she got involved and the relationship between Joker, Paul Dini actually started crying on the podcast you know about really you know, yeah it was it was i'm not going to say it was weird but it was it was it's interesting to see how emotional a writer can get about that he's obviously drawing from experiences in his own life you know this this psychiatrist who gets too involved and and you know he was he was talking about this one scene he wrote for a comic book where um the uh, Harley Quinn is talking to the Joker and the Joker's lying on a bench and he's got his head in Harley Quinn's lap and the Joker's crying and, and the reason he's doing that is because Harley Quinn's like the one person that he can kinda let himself go and he doesn't have to put a you know a song and dance performance on in front of her. And he's telling about this this relationship about these psychopaths, right, that that kill for fun and and, and enjoyment of each other, but together they're so intertwined and stuff, and he just starts crying and I'm just like, that's a little weird. Um and then he's been having Mark Hamill on a couple times, and he does the voice of the Joker in the Batman Animated Series, and, you know, I think Mark Hamill's really enthused to talk about, you know, one of his characters that's not Luke Skywalker for once, right, and mm-hmm. really discuss about how he has helped shape the the image and, and the, uh, the character of the Joker over the years, because he's been playing the Joker voice forever, so... It's it's a great podcast, and if you are a Batman enthusiast, I think you'll get a lot out of that. It's Fat Man on Batman, so I think I qualify to be on that since I am a Fat Man and I do love Batman. So,
0: <laughs> that's funny when Mark thinking of about Camel as a villain. Uh, did you ever see the Flash TV series? Yes, he played uh, the trickster in the Flash. He did in, in the most ridiculous outfit ever. It's it was, uh, it was terrific, yeah. and
1: and 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 that was the beginning of the the, the Joker character because he used. The Joker voice for that, right? And I think that was before yep. the animated series yep. came out, right? So he was kind of getting that character warmed up then. Yep. Yeah. What did you think
0: of that Flash series? I See, I haven't seen it in years. I was a kid when I saw it. When I saw it, I liked it. I mean, and that was one of the things that my dad and I watched together, mm-hmm. so that, I'm sure that was part of it, and my dad loves the Flash character, so uh, we, we enjoyed it quite a bit. Now, It probably doesn't stand up very well, I'm going to guess. But I haven't actually, because I haven't actually seen it in years. But it is, I know it's available as a box set on DVD now.
1: I have rewatched it recently, and I will say this the first couple episodes do actually stand up. It's not until they get kind of later into the series and it gets a lot more campy because they don't really know where to take it or what to do with it. That's where it starts to kind of lose its shine. But those first, like, I, I don't know, three, four, five episodes are actually really good. The only problem with it is, is like, that outfit they give him, way too padded with muscles. I mean, yes, very very padded. You see him walking around shirtless and stuff like that, and you're just like, he's trim, he's a lean guy, but then he puts on that suit, and you're just like, whoa, uh, those muscles weren't there before. <laughs> I mean, they're definitely padding that suit. So, I've got I've got another live action
0: question for you. There is a show which I own actually, but have not yet watched, which and uh, which
1: is Birds of Prey. I did not like Birds of Prey. How come? It it changed. We talk about canon, so it changed the canon a little bit. It it talks about metahumans, right? And it tries to make the DC universe about mutants and, and mortals, right? It, 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 they try to capture the Marvel, um, you know, the the Marvel mutant agenda, the Marvel mutant movement by changing the name mutant to metahuman right and so the the main character is supposed to be the the metahuman offspring of catwoman and batman and and such and she's um you know fighting for both and stuff like that and uh,
0: it just you know that character is based on the character the original huntress right i don't think so huntress is something different well, the original Huntress, the old, old, old Huntress, was was the the daughter of Batman and Catwoman.
1: Oh, you're you're talking about old, old. Okay, yeah. yeah. Yes, in that yeah. case, you're right. Not the modern modern Huntress is not that modern. No. Modern Huntress is like another billionaire chick who uh, actually
0: now now after fifty two, the new new Huntress is oh, also from an alternate Earth. Who got sucked into the main DC universe and is actually the daughter of Batman? I'm not sure uh, if she's the daughter of Catwoman, also, but yes.
1: Then there's Batwoman, who is, she I know she's another rich one. Uh, yes, Cass- and then Cassandra Cain, and then she's the 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 lesbian um, of the of the DC universe who they um, hype up. And then I mean, do we even really need to address Alan Scott becoming gay? Who cares? That was odd. Um, that's so one of the things that DC
0: is doing now is this alternate universe, uh, Earth 2 series, and they're starting several Earth 2 series, and that, uh, the new Alan Scott, and as well as the new Huntress is from the Earth 2 series, although she's now in the main Earth, and the new Alan Scott is in, uh, Earth 2. Yeah, it is, it is strange that, that they made a big deal of it like that.
1: I, I had some, uh, friends come up, and cause, you know, I am the Green Lantern fan, right? And first of all, um, when, when the first thing they say is like, "How do you feel about Green Lantern being gay?" and I'm like, "I don't care." I mean, yeah, exactly. It's
0: not. Well, a big deal it, it at doesn't.
1: All. Can he still make cool shit with his mind? All right, whatever. You know that that has nothing to do with the character whatsoever. You know whether or not he sleeps with chicks or dudes, uh, he's still gonna go out and kick butt with the you know the the, the power ring, right? So whatever. But then I was like most people don't understand that there are layers to Green Lantern. There's not just one Green Lantern. I was so my first reaction is like, Oh, cool. Who who was it? And they're like, What do you mean who? It was Green Lantern. I was like, Yeah, you don't understand. Um, there's Hal Jordan, uh, Kyle Rannard, John Stewart, Guy Gardner, Alan Scott, right? So we got about five right off the top, excluding like the three thousand other Green Lanterns right. from the core. So five from Earth, right? Yeah. So take your pick. Alright? If we're if if being gay is like one in ten people are gay, then that means that out of the Green Lantern Corps, there's at least three hundred that are gay. So you know I've, I've, well, and, and I guess I I mean on one hand
0: I see the big deal in that it's a a it is a comic book character who is portrayed as gay and I just I don't think it's quite as revolutionary because that's been going on in Marvel for quite a while yeah we've uh, had gay characters like uh, you know North Star came out years and years ago and you've had you've had several other gay characters like you mentioned Batwoman in DC uh, Greg Rooker created a character a gay character also so it's not quite as groundbreaking in the way that's the thing that is like people are portraying that as groundbreaking and it's not quite as groundbreaking as people are portraying it to be because yes the the new Green Lantern is gay but it's not the Green Lantern he's not Green Lantern he's not like the Green Lantern that everyone thinks of he's not the Green Lantern of the main universe uh even it, it's it's uh, he's the green lantern of the alternate universe he's come out in one issue so far um and he doesn't have his own title or anything like that um so yeah it, it it it's good that they are having positive portrayals of gay people in the comic um sure i will give them full credit for that that that's great um but i don't think it's as big a deal in the context of like dc is doing something super innovative
1: no, I, I completely agree. I mean, like, it's sort of like someone saying, hey, somebody in your family's gay, and you're like, oh, who? And they say, oh, it's your third cousin, and you're like, I I have no idea who that is. I mean, exactly. He's not even the real Alan Scott from, like, you know, Prime Earth, Earth 2, and stuff like that. It, to be, you know, if they really wanted to be groundbreaking, make Hal Jordan gay. I mean, why not? Yeah. I mean, it, right. it, 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 it doesn't mean anything. It's just, you know, a part of who he is. It's not, you know... It's, uh, why is this even a thing? I don't understand. And uh, I mean, when when someone said, you know, oh, one of the DC characters is going to be announced as gay. Do you know who I thought it was? Legitimately, I thought yeah. it was going to be Aquaman. But that's just me.
0: That's odd. I would not have picked Aquaman. Okay.
1: <clears throat> Something about the new Aquaman. He just, you know. I haven't. I haven't actually read the new Aquaman, so I don't know. Well, it, it wasn't Alan Curry for a while, and then I, I don't know. They do weird things with Aquaman, so I, I yeah, I...
0: And they do. I mean, I, I can see it in the sense that they always because everyone thinks that Aquaman's lame, so they try to do things to make him a lot cooler. Um, and and uh, I can I guess I can see them trying to do something like that, like giving him something because uh, they... you know for a while in the '90s and and in the '2000s they did a lot. They
1: jazzed him up, they took away one of his hands, gave him a hook, he grew a beard, and you're like, Oh yeah, he's, exactly. he's edgy. Right, exactly. They, still Aquaman. Yeah,
0: it was the, the Iron Age hero, right. Yeah. <clears throat> but he can still talk to fish. It makes me sad. <laughs> Actually, to tell you the truth, Holly Holly feels the exact same way about Hawkeye
1: though. Well, it depends on which Hawkeye you're talking about. If you're talking about the, 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 the girl who's actually an alien, what are they, the, the Angosians or something like that? Or, no, no, no not... she, she's, talk, she's talking about the movie Hawkeye,
0: and she, she keeps on pointing out Hawkeye oh. with, his, with, his, with his bow by the Black Widow.
1: <laughs> that, I, I will, okay, so so um, um, uh, fair dinkum here. Uh, I, I am a huge Avengers fan. I love the movie. I've seen it like five or six times. Absolutely amazing. But I will admit Hawkeye comes across as pretty awkward when compared to everyone else, and I I think they kind of play that up a little bit because he has a little uh, I don't want to call it penis envy, right? But when you're sitting there, like, all right, you know, you're gonna let's say you're gonna pick a soccer team, right? And you're like, all right, I'm gonna take the Hulk, all right, I'm gonna take uh, Thor. Um, I'll take Captain America. All right, I'll take uh, uh, I'll take Black Widow. All right, I got Nick Fury, and like Hawkeye's gonna be the one guy left, like sitting there going, man, I'm picked last. Yeah, it's like he goes
0: up and he watches things. That's his. That's his. That's his thing, right? Go to the top of the building.
1: Tell us. Tell us what's going on. And so they only. They only did. They only did that to make him feel useful, you know. So. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> he was definitely a scrub. I understand he's sort of the coordinator and keeping an eye on everything. He's keeping an eye on the bigger battle. But you're, you're right. But you know what? They did that well, right? It didn't. It didn't feel as awkward as it probably would have felt in another director's hands. That's probably true. But yeah, no, I actually, I I try to defend him, but I don't do a very good job. So it's it's hard, but I think, you know, they talk about it because like when they had that conversation in the movie, Spoilers, spoilers, Black Widow and Hawkeye, they they obviously have something between them. You don't know if it's a romantic relationship, by the way, kudos to freaking Joss Whedon for not throwing in a useless romantic interest twist that would do nothing for the, the movie. You know, they they didn't have like you know an awkward moment between Captain America and Black Widow, or you know you you sense there's a relationship between Hawkeye and Black Widow, but it's very subtle. It's not like out there, right? And most of the time they throw in these romantic twists just to prove that a character is heterosexual or something like that. Um, the only kind of qua- the the only romantic thing in there is between Pepper Potts and Iron Man, and that's already been established over two other movies, so that's completely appropriate. They don't even like. You know, play around with it, right? You know, it's just naturally a part of the characters, right? So, but it, in that scene where where Black Widow and Hawkeye are talking, she's like, "Listen, we're dealing with shit we were never trained to. We're we're just two people." And you know, she called it. You know, she was calling out to Captain America, and she was like, "Listen, you better not get involved in that. You know, those are walking, breathing gods. You know, they're they're gonna you know fuck some shit up." They get a sense that they're in over their heads, right? Absolutely. So they kind of address that. Still, though, it, it's Hawkeye and he's standing on a building shooting things with arrows, and like, he runs out of arrows. <laughs> when for for, yeah, I, 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 for all Holly's that point space, is... <laughs> you, you're mm-hmm. absolutely right. Yeah. For all the space with the arrows, clips. Right, and Holly's point is Black Widow never runs out of kicks. <laughs> no, never runs out of kicks. But like you're sitting there, like all right, Hawkeye, if you just would use a sniper rifle. And exactly a quiver full of like what did he have like 20 arrows 30 arrows? yes, something like that and and you know i had
0: i actually holly hadn't seen the the the, the marvel movies before coming in um i except for iron man which she really liked iron man she she thought that uh robert engineer did a great job as 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 tony stark so i had to watch thor beforehand and she thought hawkeye was incredibly lame in thor because <laughs> she's like he just pulls out a bow and doesn't use it <clears throat> and then so she that's kind of the attitude coming into the Avengers he's like yeah that just kind of confirmed her her theory I thought he did better and uh, a little bit better than that I mean he um, I thought he was a more interesting character than that when uh, you know I guess we can talk about spoilers now uh, with his uh, initial turning to evil and stuff like that but she just wasn't nearly as impressed
1: well okay let's let's pay credit where credits due I'm gonna say it's 50% Jeremy Renner because he did a great job at that role right knowing that it is a less glamorous role than be it Captain America, Iron Man, or Thor, right? Those those are the big three. Those are the guys who are going to be highlighted above all others, right? So he came Ooh. in knowing it's going to be a less glamorous role, but he really played it well. And then I think it's 50% Joss Whedon for understanding he's got to do something with that character, right? Because in the comics, Hawkeye definitely has a chip on his shoulder for being the most useless character, right? You read the comics, and Hawkeye definitely has... He, he he's he's bitches a lot, right? And a lot of that comes from the fact that you know he's a fucking dude with a bow, right? They're, they got an alien invasion going on. This happens in the comics, just like in the movie, and he's like sitting to pluck it, like freaking you know green arrow or something like that. I mean, they're, compa- green arrow, the same problem. Green arrow compared to Superman, what the hell, right? Even Batman's got you know like cool little gadgets and and freaking green arrows like oh I got a you know boxing glove on my arrow you know just dumb but you know they they do what they can i think they did a great job trying to incorporate that type of character into the movie because he, he was oh. one of the founding members of the avengers uh second second gen <clears throat> yeah
0: yes yes yeah yeah he, he he came on pretty early yeah um yeah the actor well i forget the actor's name now um i actually thought he he the born movie looks interesting that he's starring in, the new Bourne movie. Uh,
1: yes, but do we need another Bourne movie?
0: I mean... Oh, absolutely. Totally not. But...
1: Okay. Uh, or or, <laughs> or born books. But, you know, at least in the commercials, he looks like he's, he's kicking some butt. That's a, the... Okay, so from what I understand, they're kind of positioning Jeremy Renner to take over the Mission Impossible series, right? Um to kind of inherit it from Tom Cruise, right? Assuming Tom Cruise is willing to give up the reins, right? And then it looks like he's gonna inherit the Bourne series. Well aren't those kind of two very similar series that I don't know. It's it's kinda of weird. He is one of oh, those Yeah, he was in the new Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Oh, I see I didn't I didn't I haven't seen it. So alright, cool. I'll yeah. check that out too. By the way, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol was actually better than I thought it was going to be. In fact, it was better than it deserved to be. That's what I heard from a lot of people, actually, because let's face it, out of the out of the four Mission Impossible series, the first one was really good because it was sexy and smart. Some people complain like, oh, it didn't make any sense. Actually, it did make sense. You just had to pay attention to the movie. Most people, I think, kind of want to shut off their their right brain a little bit and just be entertained, which is nothing wrong with that, right? But they were trying to be smart with the movie and, and have a, a bit of a plot twist and some elements in there. I think it worked out really well. Um, great action, you know, great music, all that good stuff. And then, boom! John Woo gets hold of number two, and it all goes to shit. I mean, it might as well just been an hour and a half of doves flying from the tunnels. That's it was so
0: bad. The, the only thing I remember from that movie was spinning cars. I actually do not remember a single other thing
1: I mean, besides like way too many slow motion shots of like Tom Cruise walking you know to a certain area um, and then doves flying out, they had a lot of those scenes the, the One of the other biggest problems was like the the motorcycle scene where they're playing chicken and they're driving motorcycles towards each other, and, and as soon as they're going to crash, they all jump, they both jump in the air and like uh, I remember that now. Yes. Oh, that was so awkward. You're just watching that, going, "Oh, that that's so." Yeah, bad. that was that was disappointing because
0: I I like John Woo's Hong Kong movies. Uh, I like the Better Tomorrow and Hard Boiled and all those. Those were great. Uh, so yeah, that was that was a disappointment.
1: So, but I'll, I'll say this about John Woo. I think John Woo does better on a lean budget when he has to like he has to make his combat scenes, you know, uh, through kind of dumbed down special effects. I think with a budget. John Woo gets a little too crazy with his own stuff. So when you talk about Hard Boiled, that's a great movie, but he didn't have the budget to do all the goofy like wire stuff, right? So he had to to do smarter combat scenes and, and stuff like that. And I think that's you know think you know thinking hard for those scenes and, and working on them hard to, to make them make sense on a lean budget. That's what made them really good. When John Woo started making movies with the budget, that's where shit just started getting weird.
0: Trying to remember what else he did. He did face off. Face off. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. No. I liked. I liked a lot of his his, his early stuff. Uh, with like or earlier, I shouldn't say his early stuff. I haven't seen his early stuff. But what, what got him popular, which was like a Better Tomorrow series, The Killer, Bullet in the Head. You know those kinds of stuff. They they
1: were really great movies. So. Oh yeah, that that classic era of you know Chow Yun fad and 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 the um the never ending Berettas. Mm-hmm. He's actually got calluses on his fingers from having to pull the trigger so much during action sequences, right? He's actually, like, strained his fingers from having to do that stuff. So. Um, and actually,
0: have you seen this? The the last movie he did uh, was uh, uh, a kung fu movie called Reign of Assassins. Did
1: you ever see that? No. There's there's a bunch of, like... I've been meaning to watch Red Cliff because I'm a huge fan of Romance of the Three Kingdoms, the Sangakushi Gakushi series. Um, uh-huh. And uh, so there's a bunch of these types of movies... Um, you know, with the Yellow Turban Rebellion and then there's uh, the thirteen assassins. So there's I haven't got this that. like I've got this collection of stuff I'm so, supposed to watch from that same kind of genre era, but I just haven't been able to. Yeah, definitely check out Random Assassins. It's it's another 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 period piece that's that's a pretty pretty
0: decent. John Woo film.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they were god, was someone gonna do an Akira Kurosawa festival recently? I thought that, that somebody was doing that, but I might be just out of my mind.
0: I don't know about a festival. Uh, I heard that they wanted to remake the Magnificent, either the Magnificent Seven, I think it was the Magnificent Seven, which of course is based on Seven Samurai. Uh, that's the that's the latest Kurosawa thing I've heard.
1: I mean, that would be a bad idea. I mean, uh, I think you can do a modern-day version of it that'll look pretty smart and cool. I mean, I think the, the remake of True Grit was absolutely amazing.
0: I did not see that,
1: but I hear that too. Everyone was worried about how um, Jeff Bridges was going to do in the uh, the John Wayne role, right? Because John Wayne made that role classic. Uh, Jeff Bridges just took it in a completely different direction. I think, um, kind of like all that that hype was around, you know, whether or not Heath Ledger could live up to the Jack Nicholson role of, of the Joker, right? And rather than mm-hmm. try to play up to Jack Nicholson, he took it in a completely different direction. And It worked out amazing. He redefined that role, and, and that was the same thing with Jeff Bridges. Right? Rather than try to live up to Make it something different and make it your own. Mm -hmm. So absolutely amazing, good stuff. And if you've never seen, I mean, Magnificent Seven is a great film, so watch that. But I also highly recommend watch The Seven Samurai. That is another great movie, and you can see the parallels. And and if you watch watch three movies from Akira Kurosawa, watch Yojimbo, uh, The Seven Samurai, and Hidden Fortress, and you will see basically all the elements of Western films develop there. Right. So all the spaghetti Western films that were done. They stole pretty liberally from Akira Kurosawa in in terms of how they told their story and character development and, and even like camera angles and stuff like that, right? So, yeah, and
0: uh, I heard Lucas was inspired by Hidden Fortress for parts of Star Wars as well.
1: Yep. Yep, so uh, you can. I mean, Kurosawa played a lot with perspective and camera angles and lighting and stuff like that. And I mean, he's a great director. It's black and white stuff, and it's it's you know Japanese stuff. So you know, it's going to be subtitled, or if you do the dub version, you know, go ahead and do that. But it, I think it's you'll, you'll understand film a lot better if you understand those movies.
0: Yeah, uh, and he did a lot of great movies. So definitely, Yojimbo, Sanjuro, are two of my favorites. Also, those are those are great. Yep. Which uh, at least one of those was remade. Oh, what was that called? Uh Yojimbo was remade in, in as a western uh starring Bruce Willis.
1: That wasn't really a western. That was more like a like a yeah, mob mob. Yeah. Well, I mean it, it's most famously remade as um Fistful of Dollars. A fistful
0: of doll- Dollars. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I mean I, I don't Last Man say, Standing.
0: Yeah, yeah last, last Man, man standing.
1: standing. That was that was a Bruce Willis Last Man Standing. That was that one was kind of an awkward remake of it. It didn't quite fit the genre as well, right? But Fistful of Dollars, perfect remake, right? And you can see it. You know, in some of the scenes, they're, they're almost you know shot for shot from Yojimbo, but it's the exact same story, just rather than told from the perspective of uh, the samurai, told from the perspective of the cowboy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So, uh, it's great stuff. There's there's a ton of great movies out there. I I actually. Uh, um, did you know that I took southwestern studies in in my part of my literature course in uh, in school? I uh, had no. So I, I took a southwestern studies course. You know, studied. You know, it's a lot of studying the the mythos of the Southwester, You know, and cowboys and Indians and all that good stuff. You know, part of the reality and part of the mythos. And my final project was to write a paper about how the um, the mythos of the cowboy came to be, right? You know, you're supposed to to write a thesis on, you know, what as the the, the cowboy mythology and you talk about, you know, the the cattle rustling or some of the novels that were involved. I took a different approach and I said that a lot of the modern day interpretations or a lot of the modern day perspectives of the cowboy are drawn from the Akira Kurosawa films, right? That because those movies were so popular and they framed the you know, they they were the framework of so many classic western films, a lot of what we you know, a lot of what we imagine the cowboys to be are a direct result of the Kurosawa films, right? Yes, and definitely. I, I, the the odd thing about that course is it wasn't taught by by one teacher. It's actually taught by two teachers, right? One teacher thought my my uh, report was amazing work um, and was very insightful. The other teacher thought that I didn't understand the uh, the material at all and I went completely off base, and he gave me an F. Oh and nice. So, I was I was a little upset because, like, in one hand, one guy's giving me an A and the other one's giving me an F. And I'm like, this is two very disparaging grades right here. We need to really come in the middle somewhere because this is, this is going to fuck with my GPA a little bit, guys. Mm-hmm. I I think that the, the problem was is that the teacher who gave me an F had his own um, image of what the Southwest was. And then by bringing in sort of a Japanese interpretation, I think it kind of dirtied his image. He didn't want to, you know... I, I think he just didn't want to believe that you know there's Japanese involvement in the, the Southwest feel. So, something like that, So Alrighty then. Wow, we've really gone off base, haven't we? A little bit, but you That's, know, hey, it's it's all movies that people should check out. I think. I think so. Alrighty then. I think I think that'll wrap it up for us. So, you got anything you want to highlight for next episode?
0: No, no, not at all. Uh, and I'm not. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens for the next episode. Uh, I'm gonna say I know that it would be. It's gonna be incredibly hard for you, BJ. But you should try
1: to watch the first episode of My Little Pony. I, you know what? Because you're you're such a good friend, Carlos. I will do that for you. I will watch the first thank, episode. Thank, thank you, sir. I will. I will go to it with a. Non-judgmental mindset as best I can. All right, <laughs> and I'm gonna, I'm gonna post some of the uh,
0: some of the clips, some of the fan clips that I think might be easier to uh, to get into, perhaps than than some other things like uh, the Star Wars shot-for-shot shot scene and, and those kinds of things uh, that that are kind of interesting there. So I'll
1: do that as well and depending on when we record i may or may not have finished up the mass effect um mass effect uh, expansion of the storyline so if i've done that we'll talk about that i've been playing a lot of batman arkham asylum again and and actually you know my wife requested a, a batman specific episode i know we covered a lot of batman already today so that that might be a little bit redundant but maybe talk get a little bit into the batman i do a lot of green lantern stuff so i think Getting and I've recently
0: quick. I've recently rewatched the bat the uh, Michael Keaton Batman's actually in the last month or so so yeah that'd be that'd be good too
1: ooh we could do a comparison of all the Batman movies and and stuff and and see like you know yeah. who really best defines the role be it from you know we already know that Kevin Cameron does the voice but like I think Michael Keaton adds a lot to the role and stuff like that so I yeah. I agree so I think I think that would be a good interesting episode so I, that, yep. I I think that sounds good so yeah let's okay. do that next time. alrighty. So that's, uh, that's going to be it for us. Um, you can find us um, at uh, Twitter at COTB1. You can find us at comingoutofthebasement.com. We're also a member of the Network Interface, so if you go to thenetworkinterface.com, uh, we are one of the podcasts on that network, and they got a couple other good ones there, so please check them out. Yep, and thank you very much for listening. All right, everyone. Have a great day.
0: Work in an in, 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 interface is, is, is enabled bold bold. <laughs>